We're beginning a series right now on spiritual warfare, and today I want to share with you the strong man's armor. I want to approach spiritual warfare maybe with words you do know and with concepts that maybe you don't know. And so let's begin today. Would you please turn with me to Luke chapter 11? We'll get there in a minute. As you're looking for Luke chapter 11, I want you to remember a few things. Let me go over a few things with you. That all the battles of the Old Testament were physical depictions of New Testament warfare. God's wrath was poured out on the world before Noah's flood. It was because of spiritual warfare. It was because that the demonic realm had polluted the earth in such a way that God had to rescue mankind unto salvation for the salvation of mankind. He brought Israel out of Egypt and brought them into Canaan, and, and all the battles they had to fight was because these physical battles of destroying Canaanites and Philistines is a picture and depiction of what is to be unleashed in the New Testament in the warfare of the heavenlies, which is of an epic battle greater than what we even saw in the Old Testament. And then, of course, God's wrath had to be poured out on Israel itself when it had failed God and fallen into sin because salvation was based on that nation. And for the love of God, He had to chastise and discipline Israel and all other nations unto salvation through Messiah. Once Messiah came, He did the greatest warfare by defeating the devil. And by doing that defeat on the cross, He now brought us into the spiritual warfare in which we are all the army of God doing battle to eliminate the work of Satan in this fallen world. And so everything in the Old Testament that you see, the strategies, the battles, are actually physical representations for us to understand in the New Testament. And so let's understand the cosmology of the biblical worldview. What we understand is that there are realms of spiritual forces that we are in battle with. There are those in heavenly places, the principalities of the power of the air, as Satan's described, also the God of this age. So what we're talking about is the second heavenlies. There are fallen angels that are moving around territories, as we see in Daniel 7, 8, 9, where uh, Gabriel had to go to combat with the principality over Greece, over Persia. And uh, so there are realms of heavenly hosts. The word host means army. Spiritual armies of fallen angels around this earth moving in the heavenlies, trying to seduce and trying to control politics and governments. In other words, to control mankind in a fallen state. The second realm is in the earth and those are demons. Those are uh, disembodied spirits that are moving round and about to torment and to find places of residence within fallen man. And so these two levels of warfare are at stake here. And Paul talks about those in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, it's not too hard to convince the world that there are demons and devils and, and evil spirits. They get that. Look at the entertainment industry. They get that. Everybody understands that realm of darkness because everybody knows the weight and feels its presence. What we're trying to help them understand is that there is a God who has defeated it, 
and that there is light over darkness and grace abounds more wherever sin is. And we're that army and we're those people of the light that are to bring this truth into the realm and we're to do the warfare now and bring God's wrath against an enemy in spiritual places and to do the warfare and the fight. The Bible tells us that we definitely have an enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is written to Christians to stay alert. Say, well, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about demons. I don't have to worry about spiritual forces, this and that. You're in an army and you're in a warfare the minute you got saved. You were translated out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And in that kingdom of light, it is our job to help others be released from that darkness. And the enemy doesn't want us to do that. And so it says that we have an adversary, an enemy, who is Diablos, who is the deceiver, the devil, and he walks around like a roaring lion. Now a lion roars when he's about to pounce on its prey so that he can scare it to death. Basically, that's all the devil's got, fear and intimidation against the believer. He can't defeat you. The Bible says that when you're up against Satan, you stand. And having done all, you will continue to stand. You don't run, you don't go, ah, and get away. You stand. He cannot defeat you. But what he will do is test your faith by his fear and intimidation. So as you draw near to the Lord and you understand who you are in Christ Jesus, he can roar at you, he can scream at you, he can yell at you, but you stand. And you don't back down. He wants to seek whom he may devour, and he goes after those who are weak and wounded. We have many wounded Christians, and the world is already lost and being pulled by the nose by the principalities and powers of this age. So what he's looking for are weak Christians to kill, steal, and destroy the grace and blessings of God in your life. And so we need to be aware that we're in a warfare. Your family's in a warfare. Your neighborhood's in a warfare. Amen? Amen. And so this helps us begin to understand what we're dealing with. So now we go to Luke 11 and understand how did Jesus cast out demons? How did Jesus overcome demonics? In Luke 11, he tells us that Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says that there was a mute uh, uh, deaf man that came to him that had a demon. Jesus laid hands on him and cast out the spirits. Everybody went, that's awesome. How did he do that? And then there was another whole crowd of people and religious leaders said, hmm, he's got the power of Satan. Jesus says, my paraphrase, that's stupid. (laughs) Power of Satan doesn't cast out Satan. The kingdom doesn't destroy itself, no. And he goes on to say this, and this is what's important in verse 14. 11, 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute, and when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, Lord of the flies, and the prince of demons. So what Jesus does is he then gives an analogy and a story, and he says this in Luke 11, 21-22. When a strong man 
fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and he divides his spoil. Now Mark and Matthew put it this way, language you're familiar with, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. So what Jesus is saying, I didn't cast out Satan with the power of Satan. I'm stronger than Satan. And he gives the analogy. This guy's fully armed. The devil is fully armed. He's got armies. And he fully has authority and power. And he binds this person. But when one stronger comes in and disarms him, Mark and Matthew say binds him, He then can overthrow him and cast him out. So let's take a look at some of these words here so we can begin to understand what we're to do against these spiritual forces. You have authority to do this. We know this as we've studied in the past couple weeks where Jesus released the 70 into the cities. They came back rejoicing because sickness and demons responded to their authority that Christ had given them. Now that the cross is done, now that Christ is resurrected and seated on his throne, the power of his Holy Spirit is in us, and so we have that authority to cast out demons and lay hands on the sick and speak with new tongues. Now it says in Luke eleven twenty one twenty two, strong man fully armed, but when one stronger attacks him and overcomes him, he what? Takes away his armor. Matthew and Mark say bind him. Now, we're used to that word in spiritual warfare, right? I bind you, Satan. I bind you. What does that mean? We tie him up. With what? No, I mean, think about this. I tie you up. I bind you. Well, we bind him with the authority of the Word of God. What does it mean to bind? You can't move to the left to the right. We, you can't. We close in on you by the authority of the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. And if in your imagination you need to use a cord that can't be broken through the word, go ahead and tie him up in your mind. But we bind his movement and his access and his authority. We we paralyze him in his place. But Luke says something a little further, and he says, take away his armor, his power. It's the same as binding, but what he's saying is the thing that kept him there and the thing that protected him against anything removing him, you come in and disarm him. Now let me ask you something. Where was the devil and all of his minions completely disarmed? At the cross, Colossians tells us that Jesus made an open show of his power and disarmed him. And so he's disarmed. We have to go in and disarm him. That's what it means to bind. Now, what is that armor that the enemy has? How do we take the enemy's armor? How do we take away his armor? Isn't it interesting that we have armor? We have armor, don't we? The helmet of salvation, understanding who we are in Christ Jesus, the breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness given unto us to stand before a holy God, the belt of truth that girds our loins, and our sandals that are the gospel that we bring in peace. That's our armor, and we can disrobe, we can disarm whatever spirit we come to, whether it's in the heavenlies over a community, or whether it's in a person or an individual. We come to disarm them, we come to take away his armor. 
So what is the enemy's armor? Paul says this. He says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We're not beating anybody up. Alright, if someone's demon-possessed, you don't beat them up. You don't club them, you don't hit them. We're not against that person. And it's the same way. Please understand this, folks. Don't get into the carnal. Don't get into the flesh. When we have arguments with those people who are against Christianity, those who are opposing Christianity, even those who are killing Christians, we don't beat them up. We don't kill them. We lay down our lives with the love of Christ Jesus. For we we do war against the enemy in the heavenlies so that they can get free from those demonic forces and come to Jesus. And if the, if the church would walk into spiritual warfare with greater authority, we would see many more folks getting saved. We don't walk in the flesh. We wage war or wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy what? Strongholds. There's, that's what Paul calls the weapons of the enemy. His armor. The strong man's armor is, number one, a stronghold, a foot in. What is a stronghold? We destroy or cast down arguments. Okay? Pretensions, the NIV says. Those are lofty concepts and ideas. It's also called lofty opinions, raised against the knowledge of God. Pride, lofty ideas, and take every thought captive. The armor that the enemy has, you can sum all of that up, is lies. Lies. That's how he propagates and continues to bind people and to hold people in his power through the lies, through the strongholds, through the lofty opinions, through the arguments, through the contention. Communism, fascism, these are ideologies. These are arguments. These are lofty ideas. These are strongholds that have held nations captive to an atheistic mentality, and they failed. Why? Because Christians are believing to strike down those arguments through prayer. I've been in Russia, I've been in China, and communism is failing. It failed in Russia, it's failing in China, because the church is praying and praying. Don't think it's some political move. If we get a different person in the office of president or a different dictator, devil's got them too. It's the Christians, now get this, take a sound bite, it's the Christians who should be ruling the world. How do we do that? Not by force, but through spiritual force that the love of God would rule and reign. And the United States was one of those first experiments to do that. And it's failing miserably now because we've lost our place in the heavenlies. Is someone getting this? And so we've got to go back to war against, here's the enemy's armor, strongholds and arguments. So we need to know how to take them captive, right? Disarm the lie. When you're working with an individual, how do you minister to the the stronghold that's in them? You minister to the wound that's in the person. We love to bind devils and fight them. In Jesus' name, I bind you, I cast you down, I cast you out. 
I take the blood of Jesus. And we say all these words like magic incantations. We don't understand half of them. No, seriously, you know what I'm saying? I bind you, I bind you, I bind you. Why isn't he bound? Because you don't know what you're talking about. He knows that. But when you begin to understand that I am making you immobile from what you're trying to do to this person, because by the blood that was costed at that cross, it paid the price for their soul. And I'm disarming that lie. Holy Spirit, begin to bring revelation and to bring truth. And truth begins to dismantle the lies they're believing about themselves, the woundedness they have. Then the devil has lost his armor, his ability to stay. And so that's what we're working to do. Paul goes on and he says, we have divine power to destroy. We destroy or cast down. We take captive. So it is a warfare and it's using military language. And the language we are using, we destroy his lies with what? Truth. We destroy the brokenness he's keeping them in with what? Healing and love. And so as we love and minister love to these people and we minister truth, that is disarming, that is taking the armor off of the demonic's ability to stay. Most people who have some demonic oppression or demonic force in their lives or in the heavenlies over countries is because they want it there. Because of woundedness, because of bitterness, because they're believing a lie because of something that's happened. And so that enemy is able to stay there. Look at if if someone breaks, if someone steals your car, what's the first question the insurance agency asks? Was it was it locked? Well, no, it wasn't locked, but it's my car. So why doesn't that count? You left it open to an enemy. See, this isn't that difficult. There are many Christians who are being oppressed and demonized in many areas of their lives because they've not allowed the word of truth and the peace of God and the healing of the Lord to come in and dismantle or take the armor off of a stronghold, a place where the enemy was able to root in because the armor keeps him there. But when, even in a ministry of worship service, even when the Word's being preached, all of a sudden that Word comes in and it begins to take the armor off that enemy and you begin to realize, I've been believing a lie. God's love, love, God loves me. I am not a filthy, lousy sinner. God loves me. I've been redeemed by the blood. I've been washed. This truth is that I have a new identity in Christ. And through that, the armor's taken off and He cannot stay there and you are set free. And you're released. This is what Jesus would have us do. So he traffics lies. So the concept is this. We need to disarm and displace the enemy. That's the same as saying casting them out. Okay? Same verbiage, but we're so used to that word. We cast you out. Where do you cast them to? Where do you, where do you put them? Get out. Where does he go? Jesus talked about spirits who wander in dry places, but they seek to find a place to come back. Lock your doors. 
But when the love of God takes the place, when truth replaces a lie, you won't be deceived by that lie anymore. There's no place to come back in. That's why the preaching of the word, evangelism, and reaching with the word of God is so key. Because truth expels the enemy. Where do you, how do you kill? How do you get rid of a spirit? You can't kill a spirit. So what do you do? You displace them. You send them out. I like what Revelation 12, 7 and 8 says. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, who the devil and his angels, and there was what? No longer any place for them. It's not a matter of kicking out a demon, it's a matter of putting the love and the truth of God in someone that displaces the demon. Do you understand this? That's the key. That's the key. You're ministering to people. And again, deliverance ministry so often is about chasing demons. When the ministry of Jesus is ministering to souls. And putting truth into a soul, putting love into a soul that displaces the enemy. And then you get him out of there. You cast him out. You take his armor, his lies, you break it down. So... What I'm trying to help you understand is that spiritual warfare and dealing with demons is actually, uh, uh, you don't have to like look like a wizard and be all weird about it. It's ministering the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. Anybody in this place can do that. And you can displace, displace this defeated enemy. And so there's no room for him any longer. I love that. That's what casting them out means. They get touched and filled by the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. There's no place for the enemy. And so what God had in store is that at the cross was the beginning of the kingdom of God coming into the earth so that His body will displace Satan from all realms and all four corners of this planet. Do you remember what the Great Commission is? Now therefore go into where? All nations. What are we doing? Displacing the enemy. The goal of the Great Commission is to vanquish the work and the territories of the demonic realm. We're to go into every nation, not just a household and not just individuals. God's got big plans. How many of you know that? You know that it's in God's thought that the church can displace Satan out of every nation. We think too small. We're worried about Uncle Henry getting saved when in fact you could get America saved. You can get a nation saved. Let's go after uh, Africa, India. Uh, You know, the church has got to begin to understand what we're talking about here. Let's go into the realms of nations and displace the enemy. What did Jesus say in Luke 10, 18? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. <clears throat> when did he say that? When he sent them into the cities, the 70 or 72. Uh, he sent them into the city. They cast out demons, healed the sick. They came back rejoicing. And Jesus laughed and celebrated and said, I saw Satan, what? Fall like lightning. Why? He was displaced because the kingdom had come into that city and so filled the city that he couldn't sit on his roost anymore. Now, people need this. 
And so we go to people, we see them demonized, we see them believing lies, we see them wrecked, we see them addicted, we see them broken, and we bring the truth and the love of Jesus Christ into them, and it displaces whatever demonic, and we get him out and displace him so he can't find any more room there. And we can do that in nations. That's why Satan couldn't stay in the heavenlies over those towns, because the 70 displaced him. We got more than 70 here. What's wrong with doing that in Roseville, East Point, St. Clair Shores, Warren, Harrison Township? Can we? Can we? Can we? How are we going to do that? All we got to do is fill the heavenlies with his presence and his glory. We have to speak his praise. We have to speak his truth. We have to broadcast and evangelize this. I want you to understand we are literally wreaking havoc in the heavenlies because we put a 10 by 10 tent in front of this church where over 750 individuals that have come to that tent and the devil is getting displaced in their lives. Ephesians 1.10, as a plan for the fullness of time, the church is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and in the earth, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to bring the kingdom. And so we're displacing the works of darkness. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. We're teaching the angels, and we're instructing the demons, you're not wanted here. Get out. We disarm them, and we get rid of them. Those of you being baptized, you're dismissed to get ready. Revelation 12, 11 says this, so how are we stronger than demons? How do we beat them? Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they conquered him, they defeated the enemy by three things, the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives even unto death. Let's take a look at that. How is this casting out, binding and casting out, or another term is removing the armor and displacing demonic spirits? How do we do that? Number one, the blood of the Lamb. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb is the most powerful expression and manifestation of God's love. The devil has no concept of the love of God. The devil cannot love. It's an attribute of God himself. It's the very nature of God. The devil cannot love. The devil's never loved. That's why he fell. He didn't praise God. He praised himself. And so he has no concept on how to war against love. And the cross is the greatest demonstration. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The blood of Jesus. God obtained blood. Is that crazy? God, the life is in the blood. And so God obtained blood. According to Acts 20, 28, he purchased us with his own blood. God purchased us. God got blood. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that blood spilt was the pinnacle, the greatest expression of love. And that love destroys the enemy. 
Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says that by canceling out the record of debt or the written code, the law, that stood against us with its legal demands, this he nailed to the cross and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. How? He met the full justice of God in himself. Christ met the wrath of God through the love of God. He so loved the world he gave his son so that the son could take the wrath and punishment for us. And what a demonstration of love. And that blood that was spilt was the cost of the life that fulfilled the law and then released us from eternal damnation and put the love of God into us so that we would war against an enemy who is loveless, who hates, hates, and hates. And the way you disarm him is to love and to love and to bring this blood. The blood is the love of Jesus. Now the accuser can't accuse, can he? He doesn't have a law to accuse anymore because we're covered by the blood, the love of Jesus, the grace of God. And so he can say, oh, you failed here. You didn't do this right. And according to the law, we can say, oh, we failed. But I've got an advocate with the Father. And by his love, by his stripes, I am healed and I am saved. It destroys the enemy. And so by the blood of the Lamb, we conquer the enemy. That's how we drive him out. You can't stop the church because the church loves Jesus. You just spent three days fasting. Do you understand that what does fasting do? Remember, the disciples tried to cast out a demon and they couldn't. Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They said, uh, some guy came up and said, look at you guys pulled a blank here, a dud. They They just can't do it. Jesus said, well, there are some kinds, in his instruction, he said, there are some kinds of demons, there are some forces that it takes prayer and fasting. In other words, what does prayer and fasting do for you and I? It gives us spiritual power. That's a Sunday school answer. How? What is that about? Well, I fasted for five days, so now I have more power. How? I'm not as fat. No. What happens in a fast and in prayer? You draw closer in intimacy with God. You refuse your flesh and you use your flesh as an alarm clock to prayer. Your call to prayer is more. Your call to prayer is every time you're hungry. Your call to prayer is every time you yearn. So now your yearning is for the Father and all of that is about love. You draw near in love to God and as you draw nearer to God in love, your authority over the devil who was loveless is powerful. You totally disarm him and strip him. The one who was perfect in love to the Father could walk up to thousands of demons and say, shut up, get out of here. Because of the authority of the love of the Father that was pouring through him so purely. You are a vessel of the love of God. Romans 5, 2 says that by the love of God which is shed abroad or poured into us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the nature of God. His love, His care, His peace, His goodness. That's the power that comes out of us. We want to be like uh, some superpower guy and have lightning bolts go. 
We put this thing into some abstract sense that if we, we get some kind of light ray or some kind of green lantern thing or... It's knowing Him and loving Him. And by loving Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor, you disarm the enemy. He can't fight against that. And when you speak the truth of God's love, He is disarmed and He cannot remain. This is about people caring for people. That's why they overcome him by the blood. Secondly, by the word of their testimony. My testimony is I was bought with a price. I'm not my own. I'm filled with the Spirit of God and I give my life for anyone that I will share this gospel with. And I won't quit on you and I'll pour the love of God and I'll pray for you and I'll bind that enemy in love, in prayer. I'm going to tear him down over your household because I love you. What happens so often in spiritual warfare is we get into the flesh and we begin to fight the enemy in the flesh. We get angry at him, we yell at him, we shout at him. And it's all carnal. But when you would fight the enemy with love and truth, you begin to destroy him and completely disarm him. That's how you take him captive to Christ. Truth destroys. And last of all, he sums it all up by saying this, and we love God more than we love our own lives. Do you understand that spiritual warfare, the thing we have that no one else has, is the love of God. So I love God more than my own life. That's my testimony because of the blood. You see it? He started it with the blood, the demonstration of his love. It became my testimony that I accepted that blood. And now that it's my testimony, I will love God more than my own life. That's Revelation 12, 11. That's how you defeat the devil. So, what is spiritual warfare? It is the work of disarming and displacing the devil from people's lives, from communities, from the atmosphere, and in the spiritual places. And we can do that by loving God with our whole heart and loving our neighbor and going into every nation with this love and not backing down against lies and misconstrued ideas and lofty thoughts. We bring the word of God. And they may reject it, but you bring the truth and you come back because you love them. The whole reason anyone's in this house is because you felt the love of God. You responded to the love of God and it destroyed the enemy that was in your life. It displaced him. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Can you displace an enemy? Come on. Can you take away the the armor he wears of lies and, and strongholds? Yes, you can. Can you speak the truth in love? There it is. Stand with me. Father God, I thank You for these soldiers today. I thank You for the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal. They are in fact the power and the love of God. 